If you did not, uh, as you came in this evening, pick up the sheet of paper. I was going to put that stool right in the middle of the aisle there so people had to trip over it, but I figured that wouldn't be good. I don't need uh, individuals doing that. We had that a couple weeks ago on a service. I don't need that uh, coming into the building. But uh, if you didn't get that, that that list of admonition verses, uh, verses on admonition will help. I had somebody ask me, oh, are we quitting the series on one another? Well, no, because uh, we are going to turn to one of the verses that you see on that list there, Romans chapter 15, uh, verse number 14. So we're going to start there this evening uh, with this, but uh, that list there uh, you need uh, for this evening. Good to have you here this evening. I, I know some of you traveled from another you know, state to get here today, so you know, this evening, and uh, is thankful for that. So uh, thanks for traveling and being here tonight. Last month, there was an article written, Reuters produced it, and it just simply said this, they knew. Say, what did they know? Well, they knew this. Uh, When hydrologist, uh, a man by the name of Abdul Wanis Ashur, began researching the system of dams protecting the eastern Libyan port of Derna 17 years ago, the peril facing residents was already no secret. When I gathered the data... I found that a number of problems were there in the Derna Valley and the cracks present in the dams, the amount of rainfall and the repeated floods. I found also a number of reports warning of a disaster taking place in the Derna Valley Basin if the dams were not maintained. In a paper just last year, Ashur warned that if the dams were not urgently maintained, the city faced a potential catastrophe. There were warnings before that. The state knew of this well, and whether though uh, through experts in the Public Water Commission or foreign companies that came across to assess the dam, the Libyan government knew what was going on in the Derna River Valley and the danger of the situation for a long time. Now, if you were paying attention to the news at all, you heard of that Libyan town called Derna. Because on the night of September the 10th, a dry riverbed that was usually behind that, but uh, that dam protected uh, the city uh, when you had rainy season, that dam broke. And I went and looked to see what the most recent numbers uh, since September the 10th, and as best as they can tell, uh, at least uh, 11,000 if not 12,000 people died, and they're still trying to find people. You've seen pictures of the, the city as it, uh, and the roads around that. It's a complete reconstruction project of the area done by the dam. But this uh, man was one who was immediately saying this was warned about and even papers to prove the fact that there had been warning that the dams were a danger and could cause mass destruction. See, we're thankful for individuals who are willing to warn, though at times they can be seemingly annoying. In that case, uh, I'm sure the Libyan government at this point is wishing they had paid attention to the warnings and the cries of these individuals that that city was in danger. But we as a uh, group of believers have a responsibility to warn others, or as we see in this passage, to admonish, it's the same word throughout the Scripture, that we have a responsibility to warn or challenge or counsel or admonish other individuals. Romans chapter 15 and and verse uh, number 14, you have 
Uh, this statement, Paul makes it. See, they're halfway down that sheet. If you have it, it just simply says this. And I myself am also persuaded of you, my brethren, that also ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So we've been going through the series of one another's, and we've got uh, ways to go, but we were working through the book of Romans just to give us a starting point of the statements that Paul made in this letter that were challenges to one another. And you go, what does it mean when you see that statement, one another? Well, it's something that's expected. When you have a group of believers together, individuals in the church body, that you reflect this back and forth, and it's really reflective of what Christ has been doing in your life you're reflecting that to others in the body of believers in the church, and you're reflecting that back. There's a responsibility, and there's a lot of one another's in the Scripture. But this one this evening we're going to look at is the idea that we have the responsibility to admonish one another. If you were to look at this word in just a dictionary or the like, you would find that it does have the idea of warn. And as you look through those passages and you kind of see the bolded uh, words in each one of those verses, it's usually translated in the, the, the version we have either admonish or warn. It can mean counsel. And uh, you say, what is it, counsel? Uh, counsel is just simply giving people uh, information and uh, working towards the mind. In fact, the word that is behind this is uh, nutheto, uh, you have this uh, word that is there, and it just simply means this. Uh, it literally means new, which is the idea of mind, and in place. It's the idea of setting one's mind in place. Now, this is a term that has been uh, in recent years, and I didn't hear it until I was in college, but if you go to Christian campuses and the like, and you decide to take up a counseling degree, what they will call it is that most of the methods that they will use uh, in uh, Christian colleges is that they will call it nuthetic counseling. It's using this Greek word behind it. And you say, well, what's the idea of nuthetic counseling? Well, you got a lot of counseling in this world that, you know, it goes back and says, okay, let's look at your past. And, you know, maybe something is hidden there. And, and you have psychiatry that's a part of things. Nuthetic counseling is just this, taking the word of God and saying, how does this fit your situation? What are the answers for you? And challenging people's minds and also challenging them to change their activities that might be what is causing them the destruction or the distress that they have. And so when you see this term admonish, this is an idea of you challenging the mind of somebody, challenging them to maybe change their thinking and in this case, what we're talking about is just not getting them to change their thinking or opinion. It's changing it into what God's opinion is, what the Scripture says. In fact, you look down that list, you find in Colossians 3 and verse number 16, you see that about halfway down the page. It says this, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, the ability to be able to warn and counsel and admonish others is based on the fact of you knowing your word. 
And the idea there of uh, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly is the idea that you welcome it. We talked about it last week. The idea of making it a house guest that you like having. Okay, there are certain times where you have people that come over and you're looking for them to leave as quick as they possibly can. And so you're not laying out uh, everything for them. But there are certain people that come into the house and you say this, make yourself at home. You know, there's the fridge is open to you. Stuff is over here. If you need this, it's down there. If you need anything, let us know. We'll go out and get it for you. I mean, this is the type of thing that you do with the Word of God. It's not that the Word of God is unwelcome. But understand, if you're reading the Word of God, it's going to be doing what you're supposed to be doing for other believers. It's at times going to warn you and counsel you and admonish you. And so the the believers are challenged there in Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Okay, there's that phrase again. You've got a responsibility to teach and to admonish. Now, teaching, understand this. Teaching's got the idea that you just lay out the facts. Okay, that's what teachers do in most uh, circumstances. They're laying out facts, and they're laying out the facts, and they're laying out the facts, and they hope the kids get the facts, and that's uh, what you're doing. But when it's uh, tied with this idea of admonishing, you're doing something with it, saying there's got to be some change as the result of hearing these things. So for us as believers, we've got a responsibility to teach, but more though than just teach, we may at times for other believers have the responsibility to challenge them, to warn them, to move them towards a certain way of thinking. Now understand, this kind of goes contrary if you have your Bibles in Romans chapter 15 and verse 7. We looked back at a previous uh, statement that we made about one another, and verse 7 says this, Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. This statement of that you are to admonish one another does put out that fact that you just don't accept everybody and everything they say. Because there are certain ministries that just simply says, anything goes, everything's okay, everything's fine, don't challenge anybody, just welcome everybody because you're supposed to show the love of God and do all that, and and then don't challenge anyone. This command is just kind of the balance of that. We need to have a, a mindset that we're willing to accept people. We looked at it last week, that we don't reject individuals on basis of their background, their nationality, uh, their social status. We're, we're saying we go and we're okay with individuals of every kind and stripe. But this one just kind of warns us on the other side, beware, you may have to challenge people and say, this is probably not a good course. This is probably not the right course. It doesn't match up to the Word of God. And we as believers have the responsibility to warn. Now, I thought about this. Most of the time, we don't like when people tell us when we're not right. I remember this being one of the cases uh, when I first uh, entered college. I had a job, and it was a really impressive job. I got to clean bathrooms in a boy's dormitory. 
Yeah, of all jobs you could have in the world, that's probably not one that people would pick as a life calling and, and the like. But I had that, and so I worked. But as part of that job, they actually did evaluations. That was part of the thing working on campus there. They went through evaluations, so your boss went through uh, about halfway through the year and evaluated how you were doing things. And, you know, he goes and sits down and says, this is really good, and this is really good, and this is really good, and, you know, you probably can do better here, and you're thinking, what? Wait a second. You know, I, I thought I was doing that job correctly, the responsibility I had there, and you're telling me I need to do it better? It's just part of our, our nature that when someone comes and goes, you're not quite right here, that we usually get angry about it. And, you know, I, I've now been on the other side in management and, and in positions of responsibility. Do you realize on the other side, you really don't like having to challenge and warn other people? It's not an exciting thing to tell them they're not doing a good job, uh, that things need to improve and the like. You just, you don't like doing that either. But in the church, what the Apostle Paul is teaching here, and then as you see through uh, other writings, is this is simply this, that we as a church ought to be aware of the fact that others may actually challenge us at times and that we don't get upset by that. And that at times they may be doing it for our own benefit and for our own good. And it may be that on another occasion you're having to challenge them. But hopefully what we're doing is we're thinking ahead and warning individuals that something's not right. I mean, I thought about this uh, this afternoon as I was looking at some of the stuff and I was once again uh, reminded of the fact we don't get frustrated when we see warning signs on the road. Do we? Now, I mean, we might get frustrated with what the speed limit is or that type of thing. But, but we're okay when we get a warning like this where it says, bridge out. I mean, do we become infuriated at that, that, you know, someone's looking out for our safety and put up a sign that said, bridge out, uh, and there is a bridge out and the like, and, and so they're trying to protect us and keep us safe? I mean, if we think of at times when believers are willing to go out of their way and say there's something that's not matching up to the word of god that we just simply go you know what they're warning us they're seeing something down the road and they're at least challenging us on this for the apostle paul as you see in romans chapter 15 and verse 14 he says I, this is the responsibility of everyone you go why because we have the qualifications to do this if we're a believer Romans 15 says this, he said, I'm persuaded, my brethren, that you're full of goodness. You as a believer, when you got saved, there was something that changed in your life. You say, what was that? You had the Holy Spirit come into your life. And as a result of that, there were things that changed. You might not have been able to pinpoint exactly why they changed, but there was something in you saying this is probably something we don't need to do. But then as you got along and you started reading the Word of God, you began to hear the Holy Spirit say, He changed that. You know, you keep down this path and it's just going to bring you more sorrow and more woe. And the, the Spirit does this and He changes you. And what happens is this, is that your life changes and hopefully there's people that are seeing what we would describe as good things 
right things, that this is happening. And for the Apostle Paul, he's convinced that they're full of goodness. Now understand this, he doesn't say, I'm convinced of the fact that you're what? Perfect. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. We, we have to understand that we're not perfect. But when it comes to this idea of admonition, there is, if you're, you're allowing the Spirit to do His work and you're in the Word of God as you're reading, as it says there, uh, let the Word of God dwell in you richly in Colossians 3, there's going to be things going on in your life. There's good things going on that the Word of God and the Spirit of God is able to do in your life. And so the Apostle Paul says, I'm convinced that you have the ability to do some of this, the challenging, the warning, the counseling, and that you're filled with all knowledge. Now, that does not mean that you have the answers on everything. But there is an understanding that if you're a believer, you have answers that a lot of other people don't have to life. You understand things from the perspective of God in the sense is he said certain things, you begin to go, these things make sense. And this uh, works, this doesn't work. It uh, wasn't intended by God to work. It, it won't work. And as such, because there's a work going on in us and we have the ability to access this, I think some of the ladies, you had a passage of Scripture a few weeks ago where it talks about this, that you have all things that pertain unto life and godliness. You see this in 2 Peter 1 and verse 4. Everything that deals with your relationship with God and your relationship to others, you've got this in the Word of God. It's not going to tell you the answer to a math problem of what 4 plus 3 is. I think most people here know what that means, uh, what that number is. But it doesn't give us that answer in the Scripture. But it gives us all those things that help us to relate to God and relate to others as we should. So we have the responsibility and opportunity because there are things that have gone on in our life and that hopefully as we're going through the Word of God, we're allowing it to do a work richly in us that we have the ability to be kind of a Holy Spirit, a kind of a Word of God, a challenge to other individuals that may be wandering or going a direction that may not be good. They've got a wrong thinking or a wrong attitude. And what you have responsibility to do is to warn them and to change their, as the word literally means, to change their mind, to get their mind in place. And you say in place with what? With what God's thinking is like. That they would do this. Now for us, as you, you look at this idea of admonishing other people and challenging other people, this is not... Uh, I have to put it this way. This is not an opportunity uh, for you with uh, discerning and critical abilities to go around and just go, you're wrong. You know, there's something in our nature that just likes telling other people they're wrong. <laughs> uh, that, that, that is uh, something about it. That's not the kind of spirit you go and admonish and challenge others with. You have there at the top of that page in the admonishing verse list, you have an, a passage in Acts chapter 20. 
And this passage in Acts chapter 20 is a passage where the Apostle Paul is headed back to Jerusalem. He's gotten multiple missionary journeys he's on. The third missionary journey, he's headed back to Jerusalem where, if you know the rest of the story, he's going to be imprisoned and sent to Rome. But along the way, he stops and visits people because he considers this being the last possible time he may see them because he knows he's going to be imprisoned when he goes to Jerusalem. He just knows this is going to happen by prophecy of the Lord. And so in Acts chapter 20, he stops to see uh, the individuals that uh, were in leadership in the church at uh, Ephesus. He's in a port that's a a few miles away. He sends messengers out and says, I'm here, Uh, come to visit me. I've got some words of challenge for you. And almost all of Acts chapter 20 there is just Paul challenging these people who are in leadership in the church and reminding them what his ministry was like and that they were to, to pattern themselves after his ministry. And in the midst of that, he said this in verse 31, you have it there at the top of the page, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn, uh, warn every uh, one night and day, and here's the statement at the end that you sometimes run over, with tears. See, when you love somebody, you might cry over them. You don't cry over things you don't care about things that you're concerned about, things that you don't love. I mean, for some of you, there are no sports te- some sports teams that you shed no tears for. You go, why? Because you have no love for them. There's no love lost. There's others that, you know, they may lose and, you know, there's tears shed because you're going, why did they do this again? Uh, and there's tears that are shed. For the Apostle Paul, as he ministered to the people there at Ephesus for the space of three years, it's the longest, really, we have, the longest ministry he had in a single location. He's saying, I did not cease to do this. I didn't cease to warn you, admonish, and it was everyone. So he kind of, in his own mind, he viewed this as a personal thing that he was responsible for, each one of those members of the congregation, that he did this day in and day out, that he was concerned for their soul, that they wouldn't wreck and uh, crash uh, and destroy themselves, and that he did this with tears because my guess is there were times where he would have counseled individuals and they went ahead and did the very thing he told them not to do. There are times I can think of as a pastor where I've counseled individuals and you've uh, had to come back and talk to them and they're in tears and you're in tears with them because they ignored what you said. But now they're in a deep world of hurt. I think for the Apostle Paul, he saw some of the directions these individuals were going or some of the choices they made and it brought him to tears that they had brought hurt to their life. And so for the Apostle Paul, the the understanding was this, is that admonishing other individuals ought to be done with a deep care and concern for that other person. That it ought to have that as part of the attitude that there is a concern that things would be corrected. I mean, for Paul, he 
challenges uh, these individuals uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that when they admonished uh, individuals that they did it for right motives. Look at that list there in 1 Corinthians 4.14. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and he says this, I, I write not these things to shame you. Now when we go to challenge somebody that they may not be where they need to be at spiritually, you're not doing that with the hopes of embarrassing them. Shaming them. It might, you know, they might realize, oh, you know, I've gone and done this and whatever. But you're not out to publicly shame and dishonor them. And in this, it's a personal thing. It's an admonition that usually uh, is done without others knowing about it. And you go to them and what you're attempting to do is to have the problem change, that they get the right reaction that the Scripture has. And for the Apostle Paul, he didn't want to, with improper motives, go and challenge somebody with, ha, I'm going to show them i'm going to show that they're wrong and embarrassed no that wasn't paul's motive his goal was out of pure motives to go may this be something that changes so when you look at admonition it's done with a deep care and concern it is done with a a pure motive it's not to to embarrass that individual publicly shame them but to have them become more like Christ. And that brings us to the third idea of admonition. Admonition has as a goal Christ-likeness. That people look like Christ. Not you. Okay, that's, that's the thing. Sometimes we try and move people to our opinions and it's making them more like us. No. When you go and challenge individuals, it's to have them as a goal that they look more like Christ. You look at uh, the verse in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28 and 29 on that list there it says this whom we preach you say who's paul preaching christ warning every man teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in christ jesus and for paul he's saying wherefore unto i also labor striving according to his working which worketh mightily in here he is going i want people to look like christ I mean, people don't need to look like me. But they do need to look like Christ. They ought to look like Him. They ought to be like Him. That's the goal. The whole of our life, as the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, is that he is trying to conform us to the image of his Son, that we look like Christ. You go, why? Because if we look like Christ, we're a testimony to Him to call others to be believers on Him, followers of Him. So anytime I'm challenging an individual, it's not about you need to do this because I think this is right. No, this is something where you challenge an individual and say, this is because this is what Christ is like. This is who he is. This reflects his character. And this gets us away from at times we can be very opinionated about certain things that aren't necessarily biblical. You can't find it in the Scripture, but you feel strongly that it's got to be right. No, you go, okay, what is this like in comparison to Christ? And the other thing that we need to see about this is uh, that admonition ought to be a natural part of the church body. Now, 
there is, uh, and when we talk about this word admonish, we said it's the word for counseling. Uh, oftentimes, I do counseling for people after things have gone wrong. You know, I mean, we don't realize we have a problem until you go, okay, the problem's here. Now that it's here, what do I do? Do you realize that in the church you have the opportunity to do preventive counseling? You know, what do you mean by preventive counseling? So people don't ever get into a situation that requires that fixing up kind of challenge. You go, where do you get that from? Well, Colossians 3 and verse 16. We've looked at this verse already on that list, but it says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another. And then it says you admonish one another by something. Okay? It says in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's just kind of giving us the categories of things that we do regularly in services here, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and other times that we have times where as a congregation we said, okay, let's open a book and let's, let's sing some things. We are admonishing one another. You're hearing other people saying things that ought to be in line with what God's saying. That's why hopefully you've got good songs in your hymn book that are in line with what the teaching of Scripture is. But as you see that, that statement of psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, psalms we can understand. See, so what are the psalms? Uh, they regularly in that old church sang directly from the psalms. They sang the direct words of the Scripture. And there are songs that we sing in our hymn book that are pretty close to the words of Scripture. You kind of have to change a few of the words just to get it to fit into the rhyme and meter of a song. But we do that. You have hymns, uh, which are uh, songs that would be uh, very close to the theology of uh, Scripture and the teaching that they have. And then spiritual songs. And, and that idea of spiritual songs is one where it's just talking about songs that talk about my spiritual condition. You know, there are songs that we sing that kind of have I and me as a part of it. But as you read through the Psalms, you find that there are Psalms that are like this, where there's this focus that it says, okay, here's my condition, and these are the things that are going on. When you sing in church, and you're a part of just the church body and congregation, what you're doing on a major level is just warning people, telling them, hey, you got to get your thinking right on this. This is what the Scripture says. And as we had a music uh, man a few years ago that I use this statement all the time, words and song are remembered long. Long time afterwards, you have that song ringing your head and those words ringing your head. Well, you think about this, you have a song in a church service and you remember we sang three verses of it, four verses of it, and by the time you're done, you have something ringing in your mind from uh, the course of that song that is scriptural, and that's there. And what that can do is shape your thinking, challenge your thinking. I mean, you being together in a church service like this and singing, you're going, wait a second. <laughs> you don't understand how I sound. Uh, that's fine. Because it's not necessarily the tune that's all that important. It's the words that are there. I can remember one of the greatest challenges I ever had, and some of you know this individual, a man who came out of drugs, burnt out his mind 
on drugs, but he still could function in the church and he got saved. And I can remember him uh, singing a song and he gets to the course and it says this in the song and you know it. He lives! And he sang it in like three chords out of tune. But he was louder than everybody else. You could hear him over the crowd of 600 people and he would sing, he lives! And you go, why was he singing that? Because he'd gotten saved. He knew that this one who died on the cross rose again. He had experienced that resurrection power that changed him in his life. He had experienced that. And you could hear that and you're going, he's the worst singer. You would never have him up front. But he would sing like that. And you go, that was a challenge. Yeah, because here you've got a man who knows what those words mean and you're going, does it have the power to transform someone who destroyed his life? by drugs and then Christ entered into his life and changed him so for us we we have an opportunity you say I'm not I'm not really good with you know one-on-one challenging somebody with uh, you know certain thoughts of scripture and that type of thing and I would never get up in a in front of people and do this but do you realize the getting together and us of singing hymns and songs that you're challenging are thinking to get it in place. I mean, that changes what you're, you're thinking when it comes to the, the service. You're going, well, you know what? No, the, the words weren't, you know, the tune wasn't quite right. You know, piano may not have been great. The director, you know, he waved in the wrong time and, you know, whatever, and, and all of these type of things. But you're sitting there going, what were the words saying there? And when you begin to think about that, hopefully you're singing, as we said, songs that are in line with what the Scripture's saying what it teaches and that's the type of thing that you know days later someone is sitting in their office and they've got this thought song going through their head that's that's why they had uh, as you look back in the 16 and the 1700s uh all of a sudden you had <clears throat> songs being written for congregations not just a select number of people in a uh official position in the church uh, they had songs that people could as they were banging away uh at the anvil with some sort of piece of metal and they had something going through their heads they had these words of the song that they had heard many of them couldn't even read but those songs were what challenged them as they did their work and changed their thinking as a result of it and so for us as believers we do bear the responsibility to warn one another because we can get out of line you know i'm always perfect no you're not you can get out of line in fact as you look at second uh, uh, corinthians chapter so or excuse me first thessalonians chapter five you have that statement there that you're to admonish individuals at verse number, uh, I believe it's verse 15 or 13 or 14 there, it says this, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. You know, what does unruly mean? I always picture it this way, and it will have forever be stuck in my mind. I don't know that's the best illustration, but just think of an army unit marching in line, and they're in formation, and they're going along, and then you have the three stooges in the back skipping along and out of line with everybody else that are marching. And you go, what's wrong with them? They're not in line with everybody else. They're doing their own thing. And 
when you get into battle, you don't want to have someone who's doing their own thing and not paying attention and going and, and just causing chaos behind you as you're trying to do something of import. And what the Apostle Paul said, there's going to be at times people who are just you know marching to a different thing. They aren't marching to the Scripture. They're marching to something else. And you've got at times just to go out and say, you shouldn't be doing that. It seemed to be a real problem in, in the church at Thessalonica because you see in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3 and verse 15, it says this, count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. It's talking about individuals who were not working, weren't doing any work because they thought the Lord was going to come back. And so they decided they weren't going to work and they were busybodies, which means they were gossiping and causing all sorts of problems with their time that they had in their hands that they weren't doing anything. The Apostle Paul said, you need to challenge an individual like that who is unruly and out of line. You need to do this, but you do it as not an enemy, but you do this as a brother or a sister. That you view them as family, that you're trying to, to get them in line with what's going on with the body of Christ. So for us as believers, this may not be, as you think about it, the most glorious thing. Because we're going to get to another, you know, you think about this uh, it's a wonderful thing to be able to pray for somebody else. You know, that, that's the night, you know, this, this is the nice thing. I get to pray for one another and hopefully they're doing that for me and that. But we've got this responsibility at times just to help others to get in line in their thinking. We're, we're God's tools and instruments sometimes to, to help people get in line with what this says and, and look a little bit more like Christ. But we also ought to be warned with the fact that someone may come along to us and go, hey, there's something not in line here and we ought to be, as we said, when we see warning signs where it says bridge out, you ought to be going, well, I'm thankful at least somebody's willing to tell me something's not right here. You know, I'm thankful that they're willing to do that. I, I can remember this as a, as a, a parent. Because sometimes we, you know, people get afraid, you're the pastor, and I can remember when we had the school and some of you that were teachers in that school, you probably were wondering at times why we were coming in and sit down to talk to you. We had a daughter in the school, and we knew she wasn't perfect. And there were times where we'd be like, listen, what are we missing? You know, we've got a certain perspective on our daughter. What are you seeing? You know, that was an opportunity for us to have someone to go, hey, there's something that's not quite right, good going on there, you're missing it, and uh, the like. And uh, hopefully our opinion when we got out of there was, thank you. We didn't see this, and we'll try and, and fix this because this isn't good. It isn't good for her, it's not good for the class uh, and the like. We ought to be like that when it comes to just, you know, people challenging us in the church. It ought to be more of a thank you. You, know, you, you did this because you were concerned. Thank you for letting me know that, and I will take it into consideration and think on this. And so for us, the privilege of one another includes the fact that sometimes we have to be the one who warns and challenges others with the mind. And so look at these verses uh, as you go throughout the week and just remind yourself, here's the, my responsibility, and hopefully I'm, I'm just doing it well in the body of Christ here and uh, helping others become more like His Son. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. I mean, if we hadn't been warned by somebody that we were bound for an eternity in hell, we would still be on our way there. 
So this really is a responsibility to challenge others that we may be in danger. That as we are now, as many in this room know Jesus Christ as Savior, we, we aren't perfect. And we could be doing things to hurt ourselves and to hurt others or damage the testimony of Christ. And, and we have to be willing at times just to take up the responsibility to warn, to challenge, to counsel someone about what's going on in their life. So Lord, help us to take up this ministry and, and to do it well, that uh, one day when we stand before you, we'll just be able to rejoice at the things that you were able to do through the body of Christ, other believers, working with other believers, that individuals looked more and more like the Son of God, looked more like Christ. May we be able to rejoice that we've done our work towards one another in this area. We love you, Lord. We thank you for uh, your Son, the opportunity to be able to change, and we praise you in His name. Amen.